Welcome back to the Fangirl Forum. I'm your host, Meredith Loftus, AKA your friendly neighborhood fangirl. Water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when Avatar The Last Airbender debuted on Nickelodeon in 2005. This three season series has been considered one of the best animated TV series of all time. It has led to a follow-up series in The Legend of Korra and a live action movie that we like to pretend never happened. Netflix announced that they were developing a live action series for Avatar The Last Airbender, but when the original creators stepped away from the project, fans everywhere were no longer confident that they'd even see anything new from the Avatarverse on screen. Thankfully, Recently, it was announced that Nickelodeon is launching Avatar Studios, a division designed to create original content spanning animated series and movies based on the franchise's world. The original creators, Brian Konitsko and Michael Dante DiMartino, they will run the studio as co-chief creative officers. That was a lot. And this is all crazy exciting news and there's just so much to geek out about over this. And as always, I'm not alone. Joining me to talk today is not just one, but two guests. First up, please welcome to the Fangirl Forum, fellow Avatar Fangirl and Hufflepuff, Lynn, hello. Hi. And next up, he is a podcaster, data professional, the co-host of The Middle Geeks and Into the Spidercast podcast, a writer and assistant editor for But Why Though podcast.com, and my fellow Jellicle Cat, give it up for Suara. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Ah, I'm so excited, too. Guys, this has been... Such a long time coming. I mean, I watched Avatar The Last Airbender three times separately this past year. Like it was the thing that I needed to get me through 2020. But I mean, first things first, I wanted to ask y'all, if you could be a bender, what type of bender would you be and why? I mean, obviously, cause you know, the shirt. I'd be an earthbender. I love Tosse songs. And I think that it just resonates with my personality, to be quite frankly on. But I think Earthbending is just like really, really cool. Obviously, no spoilers, but if you know you've read the Kyoshi novels, you set a sub bending that there is there and everything, I think is like chef's kiss. So I I'd be an earthbender. And then there's also metal bending, so you cannot forget about the metal bending. Swara, what about you? I am, as much as I think earthbending and the other bending disciplines are super cool, I am a waterbender through and through. Water has always been my element. Swimming is my favorite sport. I love the ocean. I love ocean creatures. I love the way that waterbending is portrayed on screen. Even though like it's based on Tai Chi, which isn't a, really a martial art I've done, it's just... I feel as though you know they incorporate other martial arts aspects into it. And I just like love how it looks. I love so much about the water tribe and you know i'm wearing a water tribe t-shirt right now just like Lindsay wearing her earth kingdom t-shirt and yeah i just 
it was always going to be water. Favorite color is blue. Love the element of water. And yeah. <laughs> it was written in the stars for you, man. It was written in the stars, exactly. <laughs> and, they, and they're the that. most visibly brown people. I mean, they're all brown people. They're all Asian. But like, you know, the waterbenders are visibly. the darkest. Visibly mm-hmm. the darkest, like uh, consistently throughout. I have thought about this a lot. And as, because Toph is one of my favorite characters, but I don't mm-hmm. think I'd be an earthbender. Mm-hmm. I always thought I would be a waterbender, if anything, because mm-hmm. I grew up being in the ocean. I love swimming, and mm-hmm. but I realized I'm not great with the cold. So waterbenders oh. are typically in the North or the South Pole. I feel like that'd be a deal breaker for me. So I've got to be um, an airbender. It's just so cool to me. And airbending, how it is animated, how... Like there's so many different uses for it. I just think it is so cool and fascinating. And I love how, especially in Avatar Last Airbender, it is so unique because there's only one left in Aang. And to like see that portrayed, it's like, it makes it, he's like a unicorn essentially. I mean, he's already the Avatar, but like even added so. Totally. And it's right there in the title, The Last Airbender, you know? Case in point. Case in point. (laughs) So apparently last year for Netflix, their most popular uh, kids animated series of 2020 was Avatar The Last Airbender. Of course. (laughs) I mean, of course, which not just for kids. I mean, hello. Why do you think this series continues to like resonate with us even after 15, 16 years since it first debuted? So I've watched Avatar since I, in 2006, when I was like 14, 15. I didn't watch the first season, but I started watching from the start of season two. I actually caught the tail end of season one. Then starting season two, I was immediately hooked with Azula, with what Aang was going through in the episode, with Zuko. And I was just like entrapped into this world and I was watching it week to week and became obsessed. And, you know, since then I watched Avatar The Last Airbender, I believe about, I'm going to make a rough guesstimate of eight times throughout. Yeah, like I would rewatch it a lot whenever I get the chance. I own it all on Blu-ray and Legend of Korra, I've watched at least, uh, yeah, I've watched it, I think five times throughout when, but I'm still going to watch it again. It's just what I think that these series do so well is it really comes to two fundamental things, the characterizations and the world building. It's mm-hmm. this, you know, all these amazing different kinds of characters who look different, act different. And, you know, this is a pan fantasy Asia. This is a world that is direct, directly takes elements from Asian cultures and essentially it does mix and match them here and there, which can obviously be problematic. And the fa- we still need to face that. This is a fancy world that was made by like two white guys. They mm-hmm. incorporated, you know, you know, like uh, some Asian like consulting and stuff like that. But still, like it was primarily Avatar: Last Airbender and Legend of Korra was mainly written and directed by white people, but they did so in such a way that I think just resonated with so many Asian and BIPOC worldwide. I mean, speaking for myself as a Middle Eastern Kurdish man, 
who's brown, I'm visibly brown. I saw myself represented in Katara and Sokka and the Water Tribe. Like this is the first time as a kid, the reason I gravitated towards so much towards them was because, oh, I am seeing brown people with who have around my skin tone represented as heroes on screen. And that was so powerful for me. Again, this is like a fantasy created by white people uh, that with visibly people of color. So I want to be careful with this discussion because like, I think it has Mm -hmm. very powerfully resonated with its story, with its characters, with its themes. But in taking those cultural elements, I think it really did resonate particularly for BIPOC in general. Mm -hmm. So Again, it has its problems that I'm, I think we should discuss, including in the creation of Avatar Studios and what we hope to see from it. Mm-hmm. But I think for all those reasons, those are the fundamental reasons of why it resonates so much. Well, I mean, I take a moment to digest that because similar, same for me, I watched the series around the same time. 06, 07 and everything. I remember the series finale, me and my brother taping it on VHS at my grandmother's house because, you know, my mom had church stuff to do. We were just like, we're not missing this woman for the world. So went to my grandma's like, listen, woman, this comes on at eight. You're going to do the thing, <laughs> Julie. You're going to do it. I love um, that so <laughs> much. And she was like, yeah, okay, whatever. As long as there's an interfere with myself, I, was, I said, no, it's the weekend. And no, just tape it. But I think the reason why this series resonates so much is the representation before you know representation matters even became a thing the representation whether it was different cultures people having different skin tones disabilities like it's so many different things that you can touch on but I think the most important thing with Avatar The Last Airbender is it gave kids feelings Because growing up, so many people like treat kids like they don't have these complex feelings and they're not going through these many different things. And Avatar The Last Airbender gave kids feelings in a way for you to also be seen as an emotional human being. It's kind of like the Mr. Rogers complex. Like Mr. Rogers gave us feelings. Like he let us know, like, you know, if you're upset about something, that's fine. This is how you deal with it. Avatar The Last Airbender gave kids a way to see themselves as emotional human beings and that you can at a young age go through hard things and so I think that's why you know I watch it twice a year every year so I've I've watched the show many different times I own it on blu-ray dvd I have the dvd sets blu-ray sets and I'm probably about to buy another blu-ray set just because of the covers I have a problem but we're not gonna get into that but I think the reason why it resonates so much even now and why it has such a fierce fandom is because we all felt seen emotionally because you can empathize with Katara, you can empathize with Aang, you can empathize with Zuko, and even with Uncle Uncle Iroh, and even with Appa. Everybody had these feelings that you could Even with Azula. Even with Azula. And, oh my goodness, I could talk all day about Azula. But <laughs> I love her so Azula, much. Even with Ty Lee, Toph, like, even the Cabbage Man. You could empathize with the cabbage man. Everybody, my, my cabbages. <laughs> even I find myself sometimes, even now, like when things don't go my way or stuff gets messed up, I'll think cabbages. <laughs> <laughs> my cabbages. <laughs> so it's one of those things where you felt seen in more than one way, but specifically emotionally 
they were able to latch onto you and give you a voice that you didn't think that you necessarily had. So it was just understood. Absolutely agreed. So with my avatar journey, I started, I remember watching the first season when it came out like week to week, it wasn't something that like I thought I was keeping up with, but I kind of was. And I remember when the season one finale came out and like, that was a big deal for me and my sister. I don't remember watching a lot of season two together, but once I have rewatched it on Netflix, I've realized, oh yeah, I did watch like a bunch of these, but at the time I felt like I didn't see as much of season two. I definitely remember season three. And also when the, the finale came out, that was like a, mom, dad, I'm going into this room. I am watching this for two hours. Please do not disturb me. And it was definitely an ordeal. And it was uh, a highlight for sure to be like, to watch it in real time, like all of these things come together in the series finale. I haven't watched as much of Korra. I think the way that like Avatar has I know for me has impacted me is the way that, like you were saying, Lynn, it gave kids feelings and emotions in a way that this is a Nickelodeon show. We're kind of growing up with these kids and we are seeing and experiencing like the hard aspects of life, being able to like relate to, oh, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling angry that like Appa is gone and like Aang is furiously looking for him. I feel betrayed like Azula wants like May and Ty Lee choose a different path and like she feels alone and hurt and insecure. I've seen like how Sokka has like grown from where he was in season one to being such a great strategist and leader by season three. And now as an adult watching it back, it's like, wow, they were putting so much adult mature themes into this kids show. It's been fantastic and it Mm -hmm. it was bold yeah it's so bold and I love Star Wars but like what they did with Zuko is like far and away so much better than what they were ever planning to do with Kylo Ren in the sequel trilogy and it it shows so (laughs) strongly every time I watch it back it's like wow like you see what they did with Zuko how they did that so correctly and then like drop the ball in Star Wars in that way. And so, but I also, I love that y'all both brought up the fact that like, we're seeing like different cultures being represented, different people, different styles of like uh, Tai Chi and martial arts all being used with Shaolin style and other one, uh, Bagua for the airbenders. Mm -hmm. Yes, like how they're able to like translate that into animation and like they're all given their own unique culture and identity. And yet like they are all seeking to live in harmony with one another. And that's what like the avatar like represents. And I mean, yes, we'll totally get into this with like the avatar studios and stuff, but I do think for where we are with like seeing with representation on screen, like Avatar was a big step in the right direction with a lot of plot holes as far as like the people who are creating it. But now Mm -hmm. I hope we get to see like growth from that too, from Mm -hmm. something that we have loved and like 
as a fandom rallied behind for so many years. And so. Yeah, absolutely, Meredith. I think you put that very well. It's it, it's so interesting because if anyone follows me on Twitter, they know I talk about Orientalism a lot. And mm-hmm. Orientalism is essentially the Western or specifically the white perception of the Middle East, Asia, and making stereotypes or mixing and mismatching of cultures and doing mm-hmm. so in such a way that actual Asian and Middle Eastern people and MENA people, Middle East and North African, don't feel actually seen. They see it as a caricature. Mm-hmm. I feel in my experience with Avatar, whatever the problems that Asian friends of mine have had for the most part, hasn't necessarily been that. They always feel seen. I feel as though just my impression for years of like watching this amazing series is that, and I am, you know, I technically am Asian American myself. I'm West Asian. Is that what Avatar does is that this is a fantasy world that is inspired directly by these cultures and takes very specific cultural elements, you know, down from like the cutting of the bun in the Fire Nation culture that's taken from Japanese culture. That's like a real thing of like sort of forgoing your uh, family and your ties and living in shame to something like the way they describe chi, you know, like chi is not like a mystical force or anything it's just really just literally like the energy in your body like the physical energy in your body you know like they describe these concepts like you can tell i feel as though you can tell they've done their research on these things the problem is however again is that it's mainly white people telling these stories so they still get things incorrect they're still like mixing these cultures that may not really have anything to do with one another but still my general impression has been that people of color, BIPOC and Asians, Asian Americans, many friends of mine in my life have felt really seen in a poignant way by Avatar The Last Airbender. Still, the problems are mostly white people writing and directing it, mostly white people voicing the cast. With Avatar Studios now, and especially with the conversations that we've been having on actual representation behind the camera with people who are creating and voicing these characters like we saw like for example Kristen Bell with the Central Park stepped down from voicing a person of color role she said this was wrong I it should be a person of color a black woman voicing this role they need to do the same for Avatar Studios they need mm-hmm. to for whatever new projects they have all Asian Asian American voice cast or BIPOC like you know they've talked about including like with John Boyega, apparently, of like maybe making a black avatar, maybe having Africa in the avatar world. Like, why not? Like, that would be fantastic. So like having BIPOC, like mainly Asian Americans, because it is mainly based in Asian Americans, like uh, creators and voice actors and writers, it just like, you know, they've had animators, but so do all, frankly, most Western productions. They like send the sketches of like what they want to see to these Korean or Japanese animation firms. And they work to the death to like, honestly, like get these drawings through. Although like 
I feel as though like with Studio Mir, which they had with Legend of Korra, there was like much more of a collaborative relationship and that was absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. Studio Mir's work, you know, for example, what they've Flawless. done on Ultron, on a beautiful, like, yeah, Flawless, on Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, amazing series on Netflix. That's all been fantastic. But in terms of the creative department, and I am hopeful that Brian Knitzko and Michael Dante DiMartino as the heads of Avatar Studios will take note of this, is to have these Asian... Asian American creators, I would love for someone, for example, like the director of Pixar's Float, which I actually just watched last night. It's a short film. It's by a Filipino American creator named Bobby Rubio. He was a storyboard artist for a lot of After the Last Airbender and I believe Legend of Korra. He should be brought on people like Matt Bradley, who's Thai American and does the amazing uh, Amphibia series for Disney. They should be brought on as creative heads. This is something my friend Meg Humphrey at Teaspoon of Nutmeg said on Twitter the other day when the news was coming out. They don't just need to have like Asian creators. They should specifically have Southeast Asian creators. They should have South Asian creators. They should have creators who, because who are non-Chinese or non-Sino, like mainly focused. Like they should obviously have East Asian creators as well. It's not meant to dissuade that, but rather... It needs to be holistic. It needs to be like when you have all these very diverse Asian cultures, you should have people from all over to tell these various different stories. So that is so important. I think while I am excited for Avatar series and what we're going to get, there are mistakes they've clearly made in the past. They need to rectify with the creation of Avatar Studios. And I'm excited, but I will also be holding them accountable to that. And I think that's really fair to hold them accountable because... Mm -hmm. As you have mentioned, like we've made leaps and bounds, but we have so much more to go when it comes to like representation and what we see, who is represented on screen and who is doing the storytelling behind the scenes. And I guess what gives me a little bit more hope for Avatar Studios is the fact that the co-creators are chief heads, that they're not necessarily the ones going to be on the individual projects but mainly overseeing and so I am hoping upon hope that they are going to be hiring a diverse mix of like Asian people representation so southeast yeah like I love how you mentioned like talking about how they pulled upon different cultures like with Japan like with uh the bun cutting and I feel like you want to have those people who understand that to be able to tell those stories and to be able to like elaborate them on in a way that like white people just can't, you know? Um, Absolutely. And I think that you've seen this with so many of the books and comics. Like I'm reading the mm -hmm. second Kiyoshi novel by Mm -hmm. FCE and he's Mm -hmm. an amazing writer and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lynn, did you want to like, hop into any of this I don't want to like cut you out either I think y'all y'all covered it for the most part I think that on top of cultural diversity you know just keeping things coming in terms of um, physical disabilities um they did you know a pretty good job with you know Avatar Last Airbender and Legend of Korra of highlighting you know different disabilities that people might have and you know I just agree you know build upon what you have, but make sure that you're actually growing in terms of the storytelling that you're doing, the accuracy of it, 
honoring um, the cultures that you're borrowing from to create these series. Um, but also let it just be that, you know, you're giving out this information, this free information. People just learn about different cultures. One of my favorite things is watching, you know, international films, just so I'm able to just learn about different cultures and why people do what they do. And I believe that you can tell honest stories when you're honest about your work and how you want to tell that story. And by bringing other people in who may not look like you or sound like you, you can then create the characters that you're wanting to create in an authentic way. And the people who you were trying to represent, they'll latch on to that. I know for me as a Black woman, there are a lot of shows that are out and I can immediately tell when a script has not been written by a person who looks like me. And immediately, I'm like, you know what? I'm probably not gonna watch this because, you know, this isn't representative of me and it's kind of offensive. So I believe that it's 2021. So I agree, hire people who understand what you're trying to do if you don't understand it yourself. 100% agreed. Retweet. (laughs) (laughs) In light of that, Swara, you mentioned how the voice actors you want involved in these new projects to be like people representing these cultures. What do you feel about what if they make an adult Avatar The Last Airbender movie? Do we see the original cast come back or do we want the do we want those positions recast? Positions recast, absolutely. And listen, I love the original voice actors and what they did with the uh, roles they were given. I think Mae Whitman voiced an amazing Katara. Katara is my favorite character. I love her so much and virtually everything she goes through. But it should have been an Inuit voice actress from the start. It was wrong then. It wasn't just as much of a conversation then as much as it is now. Now we are having that conversation. Now there is so much to go back on to talk about. The only voice actors I can think of that I want back are like Dante Bosco and Suki's voice actress, like who's Japanese American, as I recall. Other than that, it's mostly like, you know, like I even even Gray Delisle, like I or Gray Griffin, I love her voice as Azula, but she's also like from what I can gather, a white Latina. So I I just like, I don't know. Uh, for that, I would also, I, I'd lean on like recasting for her as well. As, as much as, you know, she's great in the role. It's just, and same goes for The Legend of Korra. You know, I have, I've taken a picture with Janet Varney. I think Janet Varney is a fantastic person, but also like a white woman <laughs> voicing this Inuit-based character. So yeah, just, hire natives and hire Asians, Asians, Americans to like do these roles. I, I, yeah, I I hope they don't default to the, what they had before. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I'm more on board with them doing that now, as opposed to I want to what I would have been, I guess, when I was more connected to like the childlike nature of Avatar The Last Airbender, like there, that will always hold a piece of my heart, but that kid has grown up and so have these kids and so have the stories that they have told. And it is about time that the characters uh, that we're seeing on screen, like the voice actors 
who are representing them should also equally like look like look like them and expand upon the stories that we have and not also I hope they don't do the whole Star Wars thing that we only like just stick with the same characters that we oh always had. Oh my god! Like, no, no, need to expand. I, I, I thankfully don't think we're in danger of that. I, I really don't. I think they're, I think they're smart. <laughs> I think so too. But I had to put get that off of my chest because you know uh, it's worth mentioning. Don't do it, guys. I don't think I you're think, listening to me, but listen. I mean, hopefully they are listening to us. I think. Because I was talking to one of my friends about this, and I think that with Avatar Studios, they have a lot of solid stuff that they can literally build upon. And if they surround themselves, even with the writers that they had before, you know, the Tims, the Katies, the Elizabeths, love Katie and Elizabeth. Love them as writers. Love them. If you are listening, Katie and Elizabeth, I appreciate you (laughs) for what you have done. But I think that they have so many different storylines they could just run with. I know like with Avatar News on Twitter and everything, uh, one of the talking points he actually brought up was the fact that, and I had even noticed it myself, was that with the comics, they have halted any progression of future storylines. They're going back and the storylines that they have in the comics now, like with Top's Metal Bending Academy, it takes place, I think like in season the end of um, season three. Yeah, end of oh, season like three. So like an three, in between. Yeah. yeah, year after season three, Katara and the Pirate Silver is like a episode that probably could have happened in season two of Avatar The Last Airbender. So all like future storylines have kind of been halted and they're kind of like just putting out content in the timeline of things that have happened, which I think prompted them to think, hmm, something might be happening while we don't want to further any more storylines in terms of canonness in the comics. So I think that they have a lot that they can work on. I think for me, one of the issues that I had when watching The Legend of Korra for the first time with my friends was they could just not let Aang go. It was like the Skywalker Industrial Complex. Like, just let the man go technically he's oh still here God, he's, he's, re- he's, he's been he's been reincarnated into this girl he's here just not in the way that you think and i if i can, if i can remember correctly i think like brian and mike even said like they felt like you know they had to like kind of like sever that tie just so you know the fans would like look girl this is what we have in front of us right now it's a new avatar new day i know y'all want ang ang's not here anymore and we need to move on because times have moved on. And so, you know, Aang is a great character and everything. He's not necessarily my favorite, you know. Me and Aang be beefing. So <laughs> we do, like, you know, I can go on and on about why, like, Aang could be my least favorite character, but... Do it. <laughs> yeah. You got this time. Is the place. So, okay, well, we have time. Okay, so for me, I think everybody gives Aang a bit more slack than they actually should being the fact that they practically had to pull his teeth to get him to do his job and the thing is i get it this last time i watched avatar the last Airbender, i watched it from the perspective of ang i empathized but for me i still couldn't like feel bad for him because you're surrounded by a bunch of kids who are 100 years less well younger than you and they're all having to 
live in this rough world. Like Katara's mom is dead. She's the last waterbender of the Southern Water Tribe. So if anybody understands what you're going through, juxtapose, it's her. Waterbending did not come easy to her. It was not handed to her. She had to fight, steal, and connive her way into becoming probably the most powerful bender of the group, aside from Aang being touched by the spirit himself. <laughs> if we're gonna go there, like, I'm not trying to hate, but I'm just saying for me, Aang's whole, I don't really want to do this. I just want to go penguin sledding. It upset me. Like, Toph left her cushion life for her parents to sit up here and teach you how to earth bend. And you like, I don't know if I'm a killer. I don't know if I'm gonna kill the fire lord. It's just like, man, you know, what, what you gonna do? If you're not gonna kill him, well, then what do you, if you don't believe the violence is the answer, what are you going to do? And so, you know, watching him try and figure this out and him inherit, inherit a problem that Roku could have handled himself. I empathize with him on that level, but he was surrounded by a bunch of kids who were willing to set aside their own lives at some point to get this mission done. And he just kind of dragged his feet at some point. And for me, he's my least favorite. And I get it. He was the ball-headed flying kid when we were kids. But from the narrative standpoint, his character frustrated me. It was the pining. It was the whining. It was the, well, I don't know. While you have, like I said, back to Katara. Katara fought tooth and nail. She had to fight her grandmother's old boyfriend to advance. And it just, it spoke to the privilege that boys have where they cannot even want to do something and still be able to be awesome at it because you're just able to. And that was something that frustrated me, not to go off on a tangent, but you know. Do it. It was time, it's time to lay Aang to rest, which is why, you know, I want to see them grow up. I want to see if they're going to, you know, continue the series out a little bit, if they're going to give us a season four movie tie-in or whatever I want them to give Aang some justice in terms of character development Mm -hmm. because the baby didn't have him and that's not his fault he's a character so you know I justice for Aang in terms of character development but you know I feel like there could have been more done with Aang in terms of at least making him want to save the world a bit more. I get that he never wanted to be the Avatar. I get that he just wanted to penguin split. But guess what? You're the Avatar. So you have to do your job. And you have a whole group of people around you who want you to do your job. And they're risking their lives to do that. So, you know, death to the Avatar and <laughs> complex of not being able to just let go and move forward. I, I hope we explore other areas and everything. But I would obviously like to watch them all grow up if we can if they give us a film i'm crossing fingers we pick up where is my mother and oh, we just yes. get you know what happened but to they mom. answered that in the comics though they did but i wouldn't mind it being a film just to hmm. just to end things for this new generation of kids who didn't have to sit through all of us wondering okay well that's it what happened to my mama what what we got what are we doing what are we doing? Because the thing is, we had to wait like a decade. Comics come, like, yeah, we had to wait 10 years before we found out. Like those comics came out like around like when they were floating the Legend of Korra. 
And so then those came out. So if they were going to do a movie, I would not mind them going through The Promise, The Search, The Rift and Smoke and Shadow. I would not mind them picking up there. But specifically, if we were able to get what happened to Zuko's mom in a movie, just to kind of like kick the studios off, I think people would go and pay to see that because I would. Because then yeah, I know like, good. okay, I don't have to like worry. It's something new. I don't necessarily have the anxiety of it, but it's answering questions. Mm-hmm. I think that would be smart for them to do that. Honestly, I like that as an idea. And I think like that's a way to hook a lot of original fans like back into Avatar mm-hmm. to be like, this is something that's been plaguing me for a bit, especially for fans who like never read the comic books or found out like mm-hmm. they get that answer on screen and I think that'd be a cool way to like tie people back in close that chapter and then like Mm -hmm. move on to new stories it's like we got you here you got this answer that you wanted and it wasn't a total like reboot of something it closed it and then we move forward you know what I mean and then they come forward with the comic yeah so I would like to see that I'm honestly just doubtful it would happen that specific way because I, I feel as though like, you know, when a story has been told in whatever medium, they're not going to necessarily adapt it, especially if it was like a comic that was adapted after the series to, you know, continue that story. But who knows? Maybe they will or they'll do some other sort of lingering mystery. I do think a film with the original gang, the original team avatar would be really great. I think if they're either young adults or they're, you know, like in their twenties or something and they have to unite for a mission or something. uh, I think that could be really great. If again, you bring on an Asian director, Asian writer, Asian voice cast, like do justice by these characters. Yeah, I think that would be a great jumping off point. But I also, re- I mean, yeah, it's only a jumping off point. I just really want to see new stories because it feels like with this world, there is an almost endless amount of storytelling to tell. Throughout, not within the four nations, through in like the different groups within the four nations and throughout 10,000 years of Avatar history and beyond, even after Legend of Korra, because the world is still very much in flux. There's so much else to tell. There's, I would love to explore not just other avatars, but other people living in the avatar universe. Mm-hmm. You know, people who, famous people who um, have done things like tangential to the avatar. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing like, oh, I would love it if they did Cabbage Man shorts. Uh. That would be fun. <laughs> yes, I agree. Like, Cabbage Man shorts, yes. Yes. And how he got to becoming a billionaire. Yes, yes. how he established Cabbage the, Corp. How it started, how it's going. I think that is probably the best one ever. Oh, definitely. Also, like, how is he getting, because he provided all that information for that play or whatever, like, mm-hmm. maybe, like, seeing him in different places that, like, he wasn't necessarily in the scene, but he was there and he was able to get that. Like, that would be incredible to see just the return of Cabbage Man. <laughs> exactly uh but yeah like on a more serious answer it's like i just want to see stories of various people who struggle of people who have to resist oppression of some sort who have to deal with 
tyrannical forces. I think that's something that Avatar the Last Airbender does very well. The Avatarverse, by the way, that's like the hashtag, hashtag Avatarverse does very well. Mm-hmm. And again, like there's so many periods in its history for, for new stories. I just like, you know, like people have like made the point on Twitter. Like I've seen like some critical feedback of actually sort of against the continued mm-hmm. adventures of the gang or mm-hmm. Avatar, Team Avatar 2.0 and like Korra's uh, Team Avatar. It's just, and like, you know, I made the point on Twitter, like this is an opportunity for new storytelling with new characters, with again, BIPOC creators, you know, like at the helm and it could be like something really good. So yeah, it's like, you know, after like, you know, the sort of activation energy of the announcement, it's like thinking about it more critically, I feel like, okay, now we can just wait and see what they do, whom they hire and set my expectations moderately. I will say though, this news, especially for me, felt like, an absolute panacea. And Meredith, you mentioned it earlier, after all the various live action news <laughs> of what they were doing for Netflix, you mentioned that the original creator stepped down and uh, from it and Brian Kinnies, both of them put out statements saying that Netflix offered them a very unsupportive environment. And Brian Kinnisko particularly was very hard boarded in his statement. It sounds like he may not go work with Netflix ever again, unless like, I don't know what they do something drastically different so yeah like netflix i think it's clear that they were making some fundamental changes to the story there were reports of like aging up katara of making Sokka the younger sibling and making zutara happen which honestly i don't mind i don't think that's i don't think like changing that's like necessarily like a big deal i I love Avatar, but I don't think it typically does relationships that well. I think the only relationship it does, it does yeah, right. The only relationship it does well is Sokka's, like Sokka with yeah, like, so- Sokka with a UA, UA, UA. Though and, I wish I uh, we we had Korra more with the Sami, yeah, yeah. And we would need yeah, more with Korra and Sami, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I, but yeah, I, I agree. agree, yeah, yeah, that we need more of them for sure. So anyway. I don't think that's the reason they left. I really don't. I don't think like they'd be, I know there were disagreements. We, you know, we've heard the stories, the disagreements between them and the Ahazes about like how they're going to write it during, write Zutara or Katara during After Last Airbender. I legitimately don't think that would be enough reason for them to walk fully away. I really feel as though Netflix is making some really again drastic changes and here's another thing they brought on a uh asian american showrunner which on paper that's great love to see that love to see you know like actual proper representation that way however this particular showrunner they chose is albert kim who was one of the main executive producers and showrunners of sleepy hollow which you you look at the reports behind the scenes of what happened and specifically to Nicole Bahari and it's like horrific you know the way they treated her it was like anti-black explicitly my expectation like my expectations went even lower for the Mm -hmm. Netflix adaptation like after reading that and this guy's record 
who knows maybe it will change maybe they will like do better in that this guy's perhaps toxic influence won't affect netflix live action but honestly it just generally seems like a mess to me of what they're going to try to do i know that on principle western live action adaptations of anime or animations are just bad on the whole <laughs> like they're barely but do we really like. think but do we really think that this netflix live action series is going to even still happen with avatar oh. studios because oh it won't happen with they, avatar studios not at all yeah no, no not at avatar studios but i'm meeting because of now avatar oh, studios like with netflix like keep think, going that would makes i don't know i think that if they did you know i don't think it would probably be smart but you know i'm not a numbers woman or anything like that but i know that now that i know that you have avatar studios i'm not looking to the hills of netflix for the live action season. And I'm gonna be honest with you, like when reports came out about the possible aging people up, upping, upping a gore factor, even even having, you know, some steamy scenes, you know, and everything, I was just kind of like, well, you know what? I'm not even gonna hate watch this. I'm just not gonna watch it because you know what? I have Same. been through uh, the M. Night debacle. Yeah. And I just know when to get out of Dodge and everything. So it's just like, I think that for our generation, we probably wouldn't, but now Netflix does have an entire new generation of Avatar fans that could possibly want to watch it, or they all could probably be like, don't nobody want to see this. I don't necessarily think with Avatar Studios in the play that it would even probably be worth it at that point, especially since they've announced, hey, we have live action stuff, you know happening in our camp too who knows we might see two live action series butting heads and we'll see which one's the better one i really hope the avatar series doesn't try to do live action i just no more live action just keep it animated i really don't think that's gonna happen i think i think that you know not everything has to be live action and that's fine and i think i think they should hold on to that you know there's beauty in animation and that that's where your magic is you can pretty much do what you imagine with animation it's really hard to try and pull off magical worlds like avatar with living people without like too much cgi and even with that it it can kind of like borderline on like the ridiculous you know it can totally but take I, you out of it i agree yeah, they exactly. can take and, you out of it, but yeah, yeah and, and it's not and it's not magic; it's water bending. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to say that. I agree with your point earlier, though, about romance and the Avatar universe. And I don't necessarily <laughs> need Zutara to happen. I know that it should have happened, and that's right. fine by me. Also, I just don't care for like blaring romance in my face with like high stakes situations like okay the world is going to end by summer i don't much care about kids kissing like you can highlight and i think that's something you can highlight romance and you know intimate feelings between people you know in ways where you don't necessarily have to put them in relationships with each other like mm-hmm. katara and zuko's relationship and how like juxtaposed they were to each other in terms of you're responsible you know for my mom's death and i'm going to take this out on you and i hate you and how they grew into a friendship 
the Seven Raiders episode is probably like one of it's my, my it's my favorite. It's, I love it so much. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's absolutely it's brilliant. Not. It's brilliant. It's, it's amazing. Brilliant. Yes. And so Zuko being able to empathize with Katara not knowing what happened to her mom. She there was no body for her to come back to. Her mom is just gone. And Zuko waking up and finding out that his mom is gone. He don't know, you know, where she is, what has happened to her. All she knows is that she's gone. He can empathize that because they lost both of their mothers to the Fire Nation. And so you can kindle that feeling between the two of them. And that can just be the romance of friendship. Like your friendships can be intimate and you can just highlight Yeah, I felt that. Absolutely. Exactly. And so that is the Zutara that I love. Katara didn't necessarily end up with anybody because everybody's like 12 and 13. Yes, that was my biggest problem. Like, can't be married off. Yeah, this is a kid's show. So like, I felt so weird shipping anybody with each other. Like they're just kids. Like They're literal children. They're literal children. So like, Legend of Korra, they're older. That's fine, but like, Avatar The Last Airbender, like, calm down people, and especially, like, I think Zutara should totally happen, like, it just, like, makes a lot of sense, way better than Raylo, sorry, have to throw that out there, um, but they're teenagers, okay, like, they're young, please, let's not, like, make the fan edits just yet, like, let's cool our, cool our jets, you know, but, like, I, right there with you Lynn you can do intimate storytelling without them being in a relationship and without them hooking up it like in the last Wanda Vision episode with Vision Mm -hmm. just telling Wanda you know what is what is grief but love persevering like that was as intimate of a line than them like sharing a kiss or like anything else so like I felt felt it it. (laughs) so I feel like had to close the you laptop and just stare at the ceiling. I felt it. <laughs> so I, I actually want to speak kind of in defense of the shipping and like the romance, like wanting romance. Like absolutely, I think viewers absolutely should have all types of relationships, mm-hmm. including romance shown on screen. And, you know, I have many friends who for whom Zutara was their first real ship that they mm-hmm. absolutely felt passionately about. Same. I, you know, like as a kid, I didn't fully get it. But as I got older, especially as I watch Avatar over and over again, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, you know what I see? And I almost like ship it too. But you know, I, I, I also like the Katang relationship. I actually, mm-hmm. again, that's like, you know, from my privileged cishet point of view, I guess, not understanding like full dynamics. But I know, I guess like that also resonated with me. I love Katara's relationships with both Aang and uh, Zuko, with her brother Sokka, with Toph. I love Katara and Toph's friendship. And uh, that is some of my favorite episodes so between absolutely, them. Absolutely, absolutely. But like, you know, in terms of like the romance and like shipping of that and you know this goes to like virtually all fandoms you know like in avatar in star wars you know the Raylo community is some of the most passionate and honestly like really forward thinking on a lot of other issues as well like you know in terms of like not just like honestly you know social issues that they're you know they're very like cognizant about that but in terms of like how to form a story how to continue that narrative throughout Mm -hmm. and I I feel as though like in shipping communities like you know obviously you know there are toxic shippers there are toxic groups there are like people who are very overly obsessed and like maybe need to 
just focus on other things. But there is like a very keen passion that I've observed that like Mm -hmm. shipping and the loving the romance of it, the thrill of that, Mm -hmm. it really inspires some like really, frankly, you know, great fan bases and even like storytelling pursuits. I think like, you know, Avatar, what it's able to do, you know, through these amazing relationships and through these amazing dynamics where yes, they are kids. (laughs) I understand that, but it's still like a universally, you know, since we were kids, since we like grew up with these characters that we could understand and could like Mm -hmm. ship whomever like we felt like with each other because it just like resonated like that. And I really, you know, I'm just going to say it. Like, I think that in Legend of Korra, I think like it was fans who caught on to some sort of dynamic between Korra and Asami and that increasingly got vocal and vocal. And I really do think that Brian and Mike took note of that and they were like, oh, we maybe made something here. You know, the fans are really like uh, resonating with this. And that ultimately resulted in Korasami becoming canon. And to be a nerd on the internet that day when yeah. that happened was absolutely extraordinary. I was like up in bed, you know, watching the episode on my computer. Side note, hate that they put it all online at the time. You know, that it's it the was the worst decision ever. The, the way Nickelodeon the way Nickelodeon treated that was absolutely awful. But no, just like watching that and like losing my mind, like, oh my God, there's actual LGBTQ representation, mm-hmm. even if it's just a brief moment for whatever the, the studio would allow. And like, you know, the creators coming out and saying, yes, this relationship is canon. <laughs> this is real. It was just an extraordinary day to be on the internet. And like, you know, like I'm not queer, I'm straight, but I just felt it, especially as I have so many friends in the LGBTQ community and me and my other friends like who love avatar we were losing our minds over it we were like yes this is so like for the time that was so progressive Mm -hmm. and honestly you know that paved the way for things like steven universe for what we're seeing on the owl house now which Mm -hmm. is a fantastic animated series on disney and other kids animation you know it's like so important I do want to clarify, just say, like, I am very pro-shipping. Like, the reason I got into fandom is through shipping. Like, I was a huge fan of Once Upon a Time. And so Captain Swan with Emma and Hook's relationship, some of my best friends came out of it. There's a shipping episode I have of this. I wanted to clarify, like, I am very pro-shipping, and I think it's important. And I think it is important to show relationships and healthy relationships and not just with heterosexual relationships you know like it needs to be representation across the board and I think for me like I just the whole kid aspect of it was just like it's something I'm like a little wary of you know (laughs) like I'm not going to be like I'm not whenever I'm recommending Avatar now I'm not going to be like oh and you're like you're probably totally going to be shifting you know these characters like personally I'm not going to do that It just happens as a byproduct later on. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, that was totally a thing or they're going to get together eventually. That's fine. Yeah, I think just to clarify, like my issue isn't necessarily like the shipping or the romance aspects, but how it's written. Like Sokka, Sokka's romance between him and Suki, watch it grow from him being a complete like misogynist and chauvinist and girls can't fight and he ends up falling in love with this super powerful Kyoshi warrior and it was just spaced out over time it wasn't necessarily that was like blaring in our face of like these people are going to get 
together. And so I feel like, <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's like, okay, this doesn't necessarily have to be as big a thing as you want it to be. Like romance can be subtle. It can be something that you don't necessarily have to spend an entire episode on. And that was my issue with Cora and Maka. It should have never happened. It should have never happened. And I know a lot of Makora shippers are really upset about that. But this is the thing. In high stakes situations, romance, there's usually no real room for it. And I've said that before, but like with Makora, it was forced. My sister, when I was watching Legend of Korra, she walked in and she was like, oh, that girl is, she's she's bi, at, at least she is bi. And I was like, I can see it. I can see it. I think she got a thing for us. Found me too. She's like, I can see that too. So for me, it's like if they had wanted to do that from the beginning, we could have watched Cora and Asami's friendship bud over three seasons and then lead to that. But the whole like love triangle, multiple times revisiting relationships thing, it was like, we are wasting good action time. I could be watching Cora wipe the floor with people. I don't care about Mako not knowing how to make up his mind. Where's Prabhu? Like, like where is Pabu? Where is Pabu and Naga? Gosh darn it! Like, where, where, where is it? So for me, it's like there are some aspects of things because the thing is, even though we didn't get to necessarily see Cora and Asami bud in their relationship the way we wanted to, when it happened, it still made sense because Asami was there for Cora in ways that Mako wasn't able to be there. Cora was able to confide in her during those three years when she wasn't able to walk and all that stuff that happened with Zaheer and everything. So we were able to fill in the gaps there and still like make it work. So imagine what you would have just been able to do if you would have just let it play out. Cora didn't need a love interest. She didn't need one. And so I think like sometimes in order to fill gaps, people use romance as a way of filler. When romance is a very difficult trope to write, People think it's easy because you can just put two people together and then it's just magic when it's it's not. That's why you'll have movies like You Got Mail, How Harry Met Sally, Pride and Prejudice. All of this, like those books and those movies were not written on just the premise of, I'm just going to have two people walk up to each other and say, I want you and you want me and we're going to be together. Like that's how romance works. And I think like it's unrealistic. So sometimes maybe your character just doesn't need a love interest. Maybe they'll bump into somebody along the way and it'll just end up working. And I feel like Cora and Asami could have easily just been that and we would have gotten it at the end without having Mako on the in-between. I do. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Bowen wouldn't have had his heart broken. He wouldn't have had to tell his brother he was a bad idea. <laughs> oh, can I just say, I actually really do love Bopal, like in Cora. <laughs> Yes. I okay. That, I love Opal. That, that, see, that is a cute, subtle romance. He saw her. He was like, I'm going to be a little cheesy or whatever. And she's like, okay, calm down. Just calm down. Like, I get it. You want me. Like, calm down. I got to go learn how to air bend. And you go learn how to metal bend. But I'll see you later. Like, it was cute. But it wasn't like, you got to be together. Mm-hmm. And they had they had relationship issues in season four. That made sense. And, and it made it was, sense. Yeah. I love this so much, guys. I just, <laughs> no, seriously, but like, this is like the stuff I've been missing as far as like 
being able to just like talk with fans about like stuff that we enjoy and you know like the way in which we relate to characters the way that we respond to different storytelling and like I mean Pride and Prejudice is one of my favorite movies and stories so when you said that about romance I'm like yep yes and the best parts about Pride and Prejudice and romance stuff is like the subtle things that build up and you're like oh they were planting seeds this is amazing (laughs) and uh, that's on a whole other topic of just how great it is but also another thing that I love that they do so well Mm -hmm. is relationships with siblings with friendships and how they bond and grow over time as well because I think like that is so important like the whole thing about team avatar and why I loved them as a complete package was because it's found family you know like yes there's a brother and sister but like it's found family that like they grow with each other they build each other up they bring out the best in each other and I think seeing that in kids and then seeing that in Legend of Korra and like Team Avatar 2.0 like that is that still resonates with us today and I think like if they are able to continue to build upon like those relationships too and like the way it's not just like a romance it's the friendships here or like the complicated relationships with family like that makes for such interesting storytelling Mm -hmm. that like honestly one of the best relationships in all of avatar the last airbender was between iroh and zuko everything that they played out there was so perfect and i mean the tales of bossing say uh iroh's little story like Mm -hmm. that kills me every time i watch it And like that adds another layer to like why he cares for Zuko so much. And you see that how he just so fights for him to like see the light in him. And it's so powerful and good. And when they hug in the finale, it gets me every time. Uh, Same. I love it so much. It's just, they all feel so relatable. We've all had these various kinds of friendships and relationships and it just feels born out of something that's truly lived that mm-hmm. you can tell like the writers are bringing like their own emotional experience and baggage to these characters in such like a raw way. I think that's what Avatar has like always been so good at is just like getting to the rawness of these dynamics. And it's not always pretty. It's not always, you know, like, roses you know like for example roses again like katara and toph in terms of like their friendship they butt heads and they're best friends they butt heads again and it's like i mean i I obviously like you know can't speak on this you know because i'm not a woman but like it felt realistic in terms of like just Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like you know they were just like having a cat fight or something like uh, from my experience and i'd love obviously you two should like chime in on this as well if there was anything it's like learning how to have a sister totally yeah yeah and they're just both two different personalities and i'm glad that they showed them getting along too like their spa day and tales of bossing say like Mm -hmm. i thought that was really important because i loved the blind what was it the blind bandit episode um with the two of them which at first have them have them butting heads but then you like oh, no, no, see, no. Like, you mean the, the you mean the uh the runaway the I runaway that's right that's yeah. right yeah. the runaway i do love the blind bandit because that's when we get tough and 
Top's amazing. But I love that episode of The Runaway because it does have them, Mm -hmm. like you see how women relate with each other or even girls, like sisters, you know, there's a motherly sister, there's the more rebellious one going to do what she wants and how they relate to each other and how they actually deeply care for each other is just so freaking powerful. Mm-hmm. One thing I did love about that episode was watching Sokka advocate for Katara in terms mm-hmm. of explaining, hey, so the reason why she is going this hard on you is because she just wants you to be at your best and she knows that this isn't your best even though I'm older than her, sometimes she's raising me and she just wants the best for you. But I just thought about it, but Katara and Toph's relationship kind of foreshadowed Suyin and Lin's relationship in terms of having that older sister who, you know, hey, I'm the law. I need you to, you know, settle down. I want you to be your best. You can do better than this. And then having a younger sister who's just kind of like, girl, I'm going to do what I want, what I want. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And like, not necessarily having that resolve there and what that could have looked like when you have two siblings with clearly a type A and a type B personality type. And I think it was just, it was an episode that was handled well. But yes, The Runaway, The Runaway is, Honestly, season three of Avatar The Last Airbender did not miss episodes like at all. It was it was a complete marathon run of like probably some of the best writing. Like the older I get, the more I lean to book three. Like book two, obviously, is absolutely amazing. But book three has some of like the best writing in terms of character development and growth and complex narrative writing. There's very little filler in book three and it shows like no. every time I. But filler I, is not, a, I just, I just I, in defense of filler, filler is not a bad thing. There's some no, fantastic filler. There's some fantastic filler. I just like, sorry. I just like have to jump in because filler is often where we get the best character development. Yes. And, I will and we don't always... know it yet. Exactly. And we don't know it yeah. yet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Like, there's nothing really wasted with Avatar, except for like I would say a few episodes, maybe in book one, only because like Definitely. they're kind of getting <laughs> off their feet. Like the Great Divide, which we all love to talk about. Uh, of like, which which like the, which like in the uh, brilliant Ember Island players, they literally brilliant. skipped over. Love it. Just like that, I love their self awareness. Like that, how often like you know they take feedback and they're just like yeah that wasn't good even when yeah they poke fun of themselves and they poke fun of the fact that like they left things kind of unanswered with jet they were like did he just die we're not really sure it's really unclear (laughs) it's really unclear and they move along and you're like thank you glad you recognize that too writers so i think because you mentioned iroh earlier and this is this is something that I've been thinking about. I hope that we get a Iroh backstory series Ooh. where we are able to just dive into his history, dive into how in the world he managed to get himself into the spirit world, um, how he was able to visit the Sun Warriors, him allegedly killing the last dragon, his relationship with Randall Shaw. Like, I want to actually watch 
eye roll deal with, because clearly the way he was able to empathize with Zuko in terms of heavy is the head that wears the crown is the fact that he clearly probably went through the exact same things. You know, Azulon probably wasn't the best dad in the world. He clearly was not built for a tyrannical rule. He clearly wanted balance in the world. And so how in the world did he deal with that to get himself to the place where he was, where he was able to then nurture Zuko and be the father that he needed to be? And I will just say this now. I, without mind, of Keanu Reeves, gave us a young Iroh <laughs> Like, I would oh probably, gosh. I would die. I mean, He's a really great voice actor. He really is. Yeah. I, I can just hear it Keanu's now. Fantastic. A young Iroh. I can hear it. I, okay, so I want to take that and I want to, here's my pitch for like what they should do <laughs> because you just talked about, well, A, I would also like to see that show. I'd also like to see how Iroh found, got into the White Lotus and all of that stuff and how he met different people within that. Take it one step further. I want a series about the spirit world. Some of my favorite episodes have been when Aang has interacted with the spirit world mm-hmm. and clearly there is a lot of lore there and there's there are spirits that we haven't met yet. And I would love to see something that like, since the avatar is the bridge to the spirit world, like I want more context of the different spirits and how they interact with Mm -hmm. each other. And like, it could be more of an adult series. That's fine by me. But I think the way that like they view life and humanity Mm -hmm. would be just a fascinating like picture to our world and humanity now. I don't know. Plus there's, Co is very fascinating to me. The face stealer. I want, because he said, I'll see you again. And we never saw him again. I want to see Co again. And I want to see like him take a face. I I just find that spirit so fascinating. So that's, that's my number one on the list. Fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I think I just like want, I mean, I, I, I will absolutely eat all this up, but I just like want a new fresh story that's actually like just not connected to anyone that we know. Again, like what I'm more are expo- interested in is like with the universe in general and just getting to know new characters through and to know the world more through these characters and grow with them as we grew with and Katara, Sokka, Toph, Korra, uh, Mako, Bolin, Asami, like these characters that Azuko, that we, Iroh, that we, Azula, that we all love is just, here's what, okay. What I am afraid of, you know, like we, when we talked sort of briefly on this, like, you know, before, like, yeah, we do definitely want maybe some of these cap off adventures for team avatar and to understand that, but Honestly, and I hate that I'm talking about Star Wars because like I barely talk about Star Wars anymore. I I think The Mandalorian is a good series. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched most of season two because Gina Carano was still on it along with, you know, the accusations that remained against Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm. And like, I think I feel personally within my bandwidth better about going back and watching it now that Karana was gone. But anyway, like about Star Wars and like all these spinoff series they're doing, my frustration with Star Wars, including with the sequel trilogy, which 
the first two films I enjoyed, then The Rise of Skywalker came out, which I initially enjoyed, but then once I thought about more and more, I was just like, oh no, I don't, I don't like this. What? Oh no, oh no. And it like kind of ruined the uh, entire sequel trilogy for me, quite honest. Mm -hmm. And the fundamental thing that ruined it for me was nostalgia, the Mm -hmm. over-reliance on nostalgia, on these specific characters. I say this as someone who grew up loving Luke Skywalker. I'm so tired of Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. There have been like a thousand stories with this guy, literally both legends and in canon. And just like, just like you were saying earlier, Lynn, like, just let the Skywalker go. Let the literal Skywalker of Aang go, which I appreciate Legend of Korra for, for like, you know, talking about that. I feel as though, yes, they were like, you know, grabbing on like on him a lot, especially in season one. But what I really loved about season two was it was about, especially for Tenzin, about letting go and, you know, the literal personification of Aang's spirit being like, you are not me and you're not supposed to be me. You're supposed to be your own person. And I love, like, if you ever deal with nostalgia, that's like sort of exploration. I really like, that's what they did in last Jedi until they, in my opinion, reneged on it in rise of Skywalker. So let the past uh, die. Kill it. If pa- you must let the past freaking <laughs> die, please let it die. I mean, like, no, as my friend, Charlotte, friend, Charlotte and Caitlin of sky Talkers will say, mm-hmm. like, you learn from the past. You have to like, let it inform what you're gonna do in the future but still don't let it define you so like you know something like that mm-hmm. so new characters you know what we've not really okay no we have had okay in the kiyoshi novels we've had like an earth bender mm-hmm. earth nation avatar i'm trying to think of, okay we've had like you know water from Korra, air from ang I mean, seen- Roku, fire, yeah, but like not much, I guess. Right. We haven't seen much of Roku. So it would be really fascinating to see a full on series or film of a fire nation avatar. I think that would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. No, I think that'd be really cool. And especially since, like, I know Zuko and Iroh in particular kind of empathized mm-hmm. or like gave us empathy for the fire nation and even Roku as well. I think that there's there's kind of like this bad guy mentality, like villain mentality behind the fire nation, because Mm -hmm. like for avatar, like it was literally about the fire nation trying to take over the world. And so I think it'd be really cool to have an avatar, like, and have a full story with an avatar who's from the fire nation. And like, whether it's pre the hundred year war or post kind of seeing him or her like grappling with, you know, this nature in them and, that's why the Sun Warriors episode was so cool to me was like fire is energy. It's life. It's not just like destruction, you know? And I uh, honestly, I'd watch any of this. There's so much. And there's honestly so much to, there is a lot of possibility with Avatar Studios. Mm -hmm. And I think we got to wrap this up because we've just been like, there's still so much we can discuss about all of this world, but I think that's kind of like the excitement that we do have. But as far you mentioned, there is now new accountability and there is a place for that accountability. And like, we expect a lot from these creators, the people that they're hiring, the stories that they're telling and who are telling these stories, it matters. And they've got the fan base for this. Mm-hmm just do it right care like care about the story the way you did before 
but bring new people into it. Bring people who are going to bring different experiences, different cultural identities, and ways that like people across the world will continue to connect and care about the characters you've already established and hopefully even new ones. You know, like there is yeah, beauty. Absolutely. Yeah, there's beauty. There is wisdom and knowledge that comes from like being nostalgic or not really nostalgia but just like learning from your past and not letting it define you and avatar has done a lot for all of us you know and legend of Mm -hmm. Korra, and i cannot wait to see what they do next and i think i think they can do it but we will have to wait and see because you know this is excitement now but something could happen again and i i don't know yeah yeah we got to be prepared and just like like i was saying earlier like even just temporary expectations i just like want to get into a few technicalities like i think that you know in terms of like the fandom that's been created that's been here since 2005 and the new members of the fandom that watch on netflix so i think it's pretty clear that like you know what nickelodeon and paramount plus are going to do they're going to take back avatar and Korra and have it completely on paramount plus so that'll be another draw for the fandom to have it easy on the streaming service along with the rest of avatar studios and it'll be the measly live action that netflix is trying to do so that'll be even less like incentive for fans to like you know try to pay attention to that i love this universe so much it's inspired me in terms of how much I love storytelling. I've always loved storytelling, but especially Avatar has just like left the biggest impression on me of virtually anything. And I think that there's something to be said about how we need new stories by like new creators. And I think Avatar has inspired a lot of that. I think it's inspired in me and other writers. I think particularly a fantastic book series y'all should read. Children, the first book, Children of Blood and Bone by Tommy mm-hmm. Adeyemi. Absolutely fantastic book. It's similar to Avatar in that it takes place in a fantasy Nigeria. You know, she's basing it in her Nigerian heritage and it's so beautifully written. The themes it explores are incredibly powerful. And that is like her own story that Tommy created through at least partially, you know, her inspiration of Avatar The Last Airbender through Avatar Last Airbender. And I think that's beautiful and we need more of that. And I do hope that with Avatar Studios, with like a much, much more diverse creative and voice acting talent behind the scenes that's driving it, we can have something that feels even more authentic to the cultures that are being represented on screen and inspire more people to be part of the Avatar fandom and to create their own stories. So that's, that's what I'm hoping for, what I've got my fingers crossed for. It's like a beautiful cycle, you know, the more like you put <laughs> I see in, what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> Lynn, any final thoughts? I just, I'm just going to wait and see what they do, but I'm excited that Brian and Mike are going to have the space to be able to see their hopes and dreams come to fruition. And they're actually going to be able to be at the helm of it. They're not going to have to fall victim to other people's uh, desires for a universe that they've cultivated and created over the years. I can't wait to see. I want so many different things out of this series. Hopefully, you know, with the studios, obviously we're getting more than just, you know, TV shows and stuff like that, but more things, you know, explained on. 
so much more, it's so rich. And so I just hope that, you know, it's done well. And with the care that they want it to be done with, since they've gone through everything they've gone through with, you know, just different projects going awry. I will say, Brian did post, I think like it was like maybe a month or two ago, about a movie that he watched early 2000s or whatever that actually helped create the Avatar universe. It was called Sky Blue 2142 AD. It has not been released in the US ever, but I managed to get my hands on a copy. So if you all haven't watched it yet, I do suggest doing it. Beautiful film, dazzling chef's kiss. It makes sense on how it inspired this entire universe. I cannot wait to watch it. Thank you both so much for coming on here and being able to share in the news about Avatar and like what we hope to see. Where can the people find you? All right, I guess um, I'm going for it. Oh, you got it. You got no, it no, you got it. You got it. You got it. Water Tribe, you got it. Katara was oh. first on the intro, so you got it. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right, uh, Meredith, this was absolutely fantastic. It was so great to talk with both you and Lynn. This was wonderful. I'm even more excited now. You can find me online at Spider Swars. I am on Instagram at Swarzy underscore eight, where I mostly post food pics. And I, uh, like Meredith mentioned, I host uh, The Middle Geeks, which is a podcast focused on Middle Eastern experiences and focusing on MENA media and giving our takes on it, me and my Lebanese-American friend May, and on Into the Spider-Cast, my co-host CJ and I review all the stories across the Spider-Verse in books, films, TV, and what video games, and what have you. And I'm a writer and editor for uh, ButWhyThoughPodcast.com, so check out our great content there. Well, you guys can find me on Instagram at LynnTheLeaf on Instagram and you can see all cute pictures of my Funko Pops and my dog Buju. So yeah, just great stuff there and my reels on my anime stuff. So what's your favorite Funko that you have? Oh yes, I'm asking you to pick your favorite child in this. Oh um okay so God that is so hard. I would have to say that my favorite right now right now my favorite right now it has to be Zuko redirecting lightning oh that's so cool yeah that that has to be my favorite one right now if I had to have a second it would probably be my Rock Lee Funko Pop because his little foot is just in the air And as always, you can follow me at Meredith Loftus. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Fangirl Forum Pod. It is still new to me even plugging that. But hey, you know, it's like a muscle. The more you work it out, the more it's going to get easier to say. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you have a fantastic day.